RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. I'm going to read from a piece that's just been published, in fact, on the 22nd of May 2023 out of Geneva. And it's been published by Reem Asalem, who is a special rapporteur on violence against women and girls, its causes and consequences. Here's the headline. Allow women and girls to speak on sex, gender and gender identity without intimidation or fear. UN expert. That UN expert joins us now, Reem Asalem. And Reem, thank you for making some time for us to talk about your piece and, and I guess the wider issue that many of us are kind of dealing with right now. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me, Paul. Okay. In reading that and the piece, my first thought was, you shouldn't have to write this. <laughs> this doesn't it should not need to be said it should should be known absolutely i agree with you uh unfortunately it's a trend uh, that i've been observing really since i was appointed as special rapporteur over a little over two years ago and um uh, it's uh, gaining force in a number of countries around the world particularly in the global north uh um, and uh, and since I was, you know, concerned, I, I I thought that I should put it out there because uh, as a special rapporteur, one of my functions is to also follow trends, um, manifestations uh, of violence against women and girls, and uh, and also uh, uh, making a point, speaking to them in a, in addition to addressing very specific. Uh, allegations of violations uh, of rights of women and girls with with government. So. So there, yeah. Yeah, um, this is something that is, <laughs> this, for want of a better term, a no-brainer. No one would ever have considered this could ever be an issue. I'm a father of three daughters. It, it's mm. always been known that, you know, women and girls, um, you, you know, they have their entitled place. They are what they are. Some might think they're more vulnerable in some ways, so therefore you you want to be even more protective of rights mm. and 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 their you know their, their right to a, a normal life and being them. But mm. all of a sudden, it's kind of flipped. How, how do you think, or why do you think that's happened? Um, I, I think it, it's not been all of a sudden. Um, the momentum has been building for some time. At least that's what I'm also told uh, by women and uh, feminist organizations that I'm in touch with. Uh, and there's been this uh, sort of taboo building around, uh, first of all, uh, reasserting uh, women and girls' as, uh uh, rights based on uh, their femaleness or their female sex. For the majority of women and girls, uh, they are born female. It's a fact, um, and and also um, this this notion that um, that uh, what what you say or just invoking um, uh, concerns around that and and questioning uh, the extent of rights of. Uh, persons according to gender identity um, is automatically um, uh, described as hate speech, right? And and uh, incitement of hatred and therefore unacceptable and therefore cannot be erased. So so I think this has been sort of long, long, long time coming. So it's only, I guess, to people 
and just out there in the normal everyday world, though, it's, it's now feels like it's suddenly in their face. Yeah. They're, they're seeing it all the time and they're having personal experience of it. We've had um, an experience recently in Auckland, New Zealand with uh, quite a nasty sort of clash of trans activists who were yeah. trying to shut down women just wanting to read stuff out. I mean, it was no big deal, but it was quite a tense and nasty situation. So it's kind of hit some sort of fever pitch now, would you say? Well, I, uh, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of the situation uh, in New Zealand. Uh, I know this one uh, had a fair amount of publicity and, and uh, was well covered. Uh, but uh, to be fair also, I, I do want to make the point that, of course, uh, those opposing uh, women and girls um, having concerns about uh, their rights based on on sex or sex associated rights also have a right to speak. And I, of course, I did make that. Yeah, I did make that point in 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 the statement as well. The issue is everybody has a right to speak as long as it's respectful, uh, as long as it's uh, without the use of violence, without inciting violence. Um, and and there are you know standards for that and um, um, and parameters for what that entails also according to international human rights law um, and so so yeah so it's it's actually as you said a, a very simple yet uh, seemingly important uh, request that needed to be made. Yeah, well, we had a situation here where um, with Posey Parker, and that's the one I refer to because the one I'm most familiar with is, yeah. is that there was even an attempt to stop her, prevent her from actually entering the country legally. You know, yes. I mean, it started yes. with that. There was zero tolerance for any free expression for her and anyone who was interested in listening to her. They failed at that, of course. Um, but uh, th that's how high the bar is, you know. Um, people are willing to do that. Yeah, and I think in in New Zealand, uh, obviously, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the 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 gathering by uh, Posey Parker was uh, legal. No, she had uh, obtained permit. Uh, of course, I mean those opposing her can also try to pursue legal channels uh, to stop the demonstration. You know, if it fulfills the criteria for for cancelling it, I, I don't have a problem with that. But once this um, gathering was deemed to be legal, and although I don't obviously agree with everything she says or the way she presents herself, but uh, there should have been respect uh, for that to, to, to go ahead. So the intimidation and coercion that you speak of in your piece, yeah, you'd think that would also, particularly by law enforcement, be policed. Yet we're seeing... Yes. We're seeing, and not only here, but we're seeing uh, a kind of disconnect or, or an unwillingness to be too forceful in in enforcing, um, you know, against intimidation and coercion. And again, we're all wondering why that is. It seems to be a new a new thing. Well, that's why I also dedicated quite a, a, a few, uh, you know, words to uh, the role of law enforcement, uh, acknowledging that they do have a responsibility uh, to protect the lawful gatherings uh, by women and to ensure their safety. Uh, because by ensuring their safety, they're also ensuring the right of these women uh, to freedom of speech and to freedom of uh, assembly. And I must say that 
um, the role or the way law enforcement has exercised its role has been uh, diverse, uh, really in different countries. We've seen, as you mentioned, the situation in New Zealand where that didn't happen. Uh, they didn't uh, rise to, to their responsibility, and we've seen what that has led to. But we've seen in other countries, uh, perhaps uh, most recently in the UK, I would say, where law enforcement did uh, play its role well and therefore guaranteed the safety, security, and freedom of speech uh, of the women that had uh, gathered and, and, of course, of their allies. What about the smearing that goes on? Yeah. There's a lot of smearing and a lot of it is quite nasty. Again, nasty. Um, designed to shut people down big time. Mm. Yeah. You you write about that too. And and what are what, what forms does that smearing take? Yeah, so it's attacking um women's uh sense of integrity. It's uh accusing them of or, or just, yeah, accusing them of being Nazis, of being genocidier or persons who commit genocide, of being just extremists, bigots, um, and therefore, uh, in a way, also inciting hatred against them, um, intimidating them, uh, shaming them into silence, uh, threats, threatening them mainly, uh, I would say, but not only online, um, uh, also, you know, sending them very uh, unpleasant things. Um, uh, for example, I don't know, bottles of urine being uh, put in front of uh, the doors of their offices. Um, and, and then going on campaigns to have uh, women uh, basically either dismissed from the work or uh, from their positions, including in academic institutions. Uh, on the grounds that their um, their views are uh, are really uh, you know full of hate and and therefore uh, this person cannot continue to um, to be welcomed basically in society. So really isolating them, attacking them, uh, smearing them. Uh, so it's 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 a multifaceted really um, exercise and uh, and we have seen this by the way happen to women and girls um, also in other contexts. So um, when you want to shut up women and prevent them from speaking, you employ more or less similar tactics. Uh, so again, it's as, as we said before, it's part of, it's, it's part of this larger uh, framework of patriarchy and, and misogyny that, uh, that exists out there. Do you see the trans world, trans lobby, essentially, part of a patriarchy because of course they claim that they're not men or male they're of another gender but it seems to me to really uh, the way it outputs at the end is kind of looks it, it walks like misogyny it looks like misogyny it probably is it does seem to be ultimate full-blown unencumbered misogyny in the end so I, I think that the the trans uh, community, if I can call it, uh, call them like that, uh, is also a very diverse uh, group of people, just like uh, like others. Uh, there are those also who are uh, not in agreement with the way a tiny minority, very vocal minority, very uh, assertive, uh, can can get also very aggressive behaves. And so we shouldn't uh, also um, take this self-installed or self-declared, uh, quote-unquote, leaders 
to 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 really mean that they do represent uh, that group. And of course, um, everyone has a right to uh, uh, you know gender identity or not to have one because there are women, of course, and and men who feel they are either male or female and they don't have a gender identity. But so, uh, but uh, trans uh, persons have a right to 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 a gender identity, even to a legal one. Um, and uh, there are those, of course, that uh, you know consistently live uh, in in the in another gender, and uh, and they have a right, obviously, to exist, and they have a right to uh, c- come into their full sort of uh, uh, you know potential and, uh, and 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 live their life to the fullest. So uh, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, but um, the the. Uh... Many of them are insisting, and there seems to be again media um, supporting um, this community. And I, I'm not not singling them out, but the the, the most obvious example is why I, I'm mentioning it here. It's very stark, yeah. you know, that mm-hmm. they're wanting to be in women's and girls' spaces, mm-hmm. um, in in areas that obviously are women's and girls' spaces. They're wanting to compete in sports where. Basically, there's no point in being a woman competing against them because you're never going to win. All those sorts of things, and they seem to be that that the concept of that seems to be supported, or, or is becoming obviously supported in what we would have called the you know mainstream kind of society. Media are supportive of um, this, and um, uh, we talked about the institutions uh, before. And there seems to be a lot of anger generated where there's obvious pushback against it. Um, I still don't quite get why this is happening to to the degree it is. Yeah, so uh, as I've said also in in other letters sent to other governments, for example, I uh, did engage on um, the draft bill for uh, self-identification of gender identity in in Scotland, um, you know, uh, needs based on biological sex are very valid and are very legitimate. And whatever configuration you find for uh, the scope and the rights of uh, persons uh, with diverse gender identities, uh, there should still be a respect for um, single sex spaces, particularly in some circumstances. And you mentioned some of those, which is, for example, uh, uh, females uh, in sports, uh, so to compete in a, in a single sex category, um, uh, also in prisons, uh, I would say, um, having access to single sex uh, shelters for survivors of uh, violence. And that's because um, we know that uh, violence has and continues to be historically male, perpetrated by males. And of course, we're not saying that, um, you know, the majority of trans women or uh, males identifying as women uh, are, are violent, but uh, we are saying that um, that uh, unless you 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 have some kinds of safeguards in place and some kinds of uh, also spaces allocated for women uh, that are born female in their most vulnerable situation, uh, you will have situations where someone, a male, will take advantage of loopholes in the system and will try to abuse that uh, those loopholes and will try to 
uh, also put uh, females at risk. So uh, it's a it's a it's a very legitimate uh, thing to want, therefore, uh, single sex spaces and to also be recognized that based on our sex, whether we are male or female, we have very specific needs, biological needs, but also there are very specific medical uh, needs and therefore policies, uh, public policies that will be designed, um, you know, based on that um, need, need to also uh, take into consideration uh, 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 the realities associated with sex. So, yeah, well, it's not going the other way. It's not like females are trying to invade male changing rooms or compete is, in male yeah. sports. It's a one-way yeah. street kind of isn't it? Yeah, it's it's interesting you raise this because um, uh, I I think the the the, the physical reality also uh, that um, uh, let's say uh, males identifying as women uh, will be more will be stronger and and will have therefore that edge means that um, that the risks are also different, right? Uh, I I. We haven't heard that much, actually, from trans men, so uh, girls or, or, or females identifying as men. Uh, we don't really know, or at least I don't know, to what extent, what, what kind of challenges they face, um, whether they use, you know, male-only spaces, how that is going. I, I wonder whether, you know, they pass uh, easier um, as uh, men, um, you know, and, and therefore some of these issues then don't arise uh, that we have in, in the uh, in the other situation. So, um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, also, I suppose, I don't know, um, and uh, we can't sort of go too deeply into this because we're not experts on this. But uh, we don't know that, um, and this is why I think that women and girls get a little nervous about this, is that mm -hmm. we don't really know if males identifying as women aren't still enjoying the attraction of women. And that's, that's a difficult situation because then you don't know if the space is being accessed for, for what reason. Well, the issue is not attraction, you know, uh, the issue is abuse or potential for abuse and potential for violence. So, um, okay. I mean, I yeah. think, yeah, I, I think, for example, uh, any perpetrator of violence uh, or, uh, let's say, uh, rapist that gets sentenced, as we've seen in, you know, one or two countries, and that then uh, self-identify right before the trial or during the trial and are moved to, you know, female-only spaces uh, in prisons, there I wouldn't be concerned if they're physically attracted to uh, women born female. My issue is that they uh, are uh, likely to continue to perpetrate this violence, or there's a high risk that this will continue, uh, and that they will actually get away with it, and that we are providing them with the space and opportunity to to exercise that violence. At a political level, what do you see um, when you look around the world? You talk about the global north. We're in the, I guess, the global yeah. south. Um, no, you're I, in the global north for that purpose. Of oh, that. for that purpose. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're we're at, at, in the north, but we're we're the south at the same time. Okay. Yeah. So, are you starting to see, particularly with 
I guess, female politicians, and there are many of them now, um, some work or some pushback or um, some change in at the political level in, well, first of all, understanding what you've been writing about, I'm sure many do, and giving effect to, I don't know, policies that can contain the excesses of it. Let me put it that way. So it starts uh, by um, uh, respecting the freedom of speech uh, and respecting the right of everyone to to have an opinion and to to also express that opinion. Um, and uh, I think also that uh, we should uh, recognize that the issue is really, uh, uh, I mean, the, the rights associated with sex, gender, gender identity are important. They affect everybody in society, and therefore it's legitimate to want to discuss that, to want to uh, address the tension of rights between different uh, stakeholders. And in fact, I would say that, um, you know, ironing this out and packing this is an issue that also should not be left to be just legislated in parliaments uh, of any given country or left uh, to the political bartering of political parties. In fact, we should go beyond that and, and consider ways of uh, having more broader, more consultative, uh, more inclusive sort of uh, discussions and decision makings. And one uh, suggestion I had seen, for example, on Twitter, somebody, uh, a woman had suggested that we should hold referendums, uh, you know, on, on, on these issues, including, for example, uh, whether, you know, uh, the, the definition of a, a woman should be, you know, based on biological sex only, or it, it's more of a legal definition, or whether we should have two categories, you know, uh, or, or three or four, you know, uh, one for men, women, trans women, trans men. Um, I, these are all issues that I think society needs to, uh, where it's, of course, relevant, because this debate is not happening in all societies, uh, should uh, find ways of uh, having a more consultative and inclusive discussion on it. Um, and another suggestion that I read in the Financial Times recently, though that person, uh, the, the uh, journalist, was not talking about the gender uh, discussions, but I think uh, the methodology he proposes could be used for that, is to have uh, sort of citizen uh, assemblies uh, where you again also go beyond uh, party represent political party representatives, and you you have these more inclusive, broader ways of of, of addressing issues. Uh, and he uh, said that this was, for example, used in Ireland uh, ahead of uh, deciding on the extent of abortion in the country, given that it's a very contentious issue, uh, or was at the time. So, uh, so, so perhaps that could be a way forward. Yeah. Uh, are there okay? There's there's the trans thing, but in other areas, as we sort of keep on moving into the future, what are the other areas that are threatening to women and girls and uh, constricting their you know, innate rights? Are there other problems as well? I mean, obviously there you are mean some, in general. Yeah, in general, yeah. there are countries and cultures that have particular mm -hmm. reputations. Um, what else is there? I suppose religious issues. Yeah. So you, uh, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, patriarchy and misogyny lie in well 
we have really a lot of structural uh uh, in in all countries, there's not one country uh, on the globe that I know that is not struggling with it. Though the manifestations of it may differ uh, from one place to another, but at the core of it, uh, it is uh, you know the the same. Uh, it's also social, can be social, cultural, can be religious norms um, uh, that really emphasize a discriminatory. Uh, approaches to treating uh, men and women. Uh, it uh, we also see a lot of online violence, um, and that's very concerning because it means that the violence can become also more aggressive, uh, more severe. Um, I think there is still also uh, a lack of um, sufficient political will to uh, in in a number of countries um uh, to sort of legislate uh, on uh, on on violence or forms of violence so for example in some countries we still don't see marital rape being uh, outlawed we don't see for example certain forms of psychological violence like coercive control being recognized we see violence playing out in places like family courts uh, with you know gender bias and generally gender bias in the justice system against women, we see attacks on women for wanting to speak, for wanting to play the role in society. For example, women politicians, women journalists, uh, women academics. So they uh, they they get uh, subjected to very gendered ways of attacks often in a sexualized manner, uh, again, smearing, degrading them, uh, isolating them. And uh, and that, of course, the impact of that goes beyond the women themselves, right? It, it also uh, has implications for the wider society and for the ability of the, that society to prosper and to, to, to develop, because in the end, it, we are talking about half of society that is then unable really to to play its full role in in society. So I think we're still a a long way away uh, from uh, being able to 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 address uh, the the issue of violence. Um, and you also have, of course, if I may say, uh, you know, one that one thing I see increasingly as a driving force of uh, also misogyny and, and violence and, and unhealthy relationships to uh, bet- between the sexes, between the genders, and between um, uh, yeah, be- between people is pornography, and uh, I think we we haven't uh, sufficiently um, looked at that as societies and the extent to which it. It's also shapes uh, in a harmful way um, the views of of children about uh, you know sex and 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 sexual relations and uh, children get exposed uh, younger at a younger and younger age now to pornography and um, and it's it is very harmful. Yeah, it's a distorting distorting influence, isn't it? Big time. Yes. And it's very um, pervasive now. Actually, it's interesting you brought that up. Um, mm. It's hardly really ever talked about, actually. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, yeah. Um, would, would that require some sort of policing of its availability? I note that there's a state in the US now that uh, is requiring people to to register to access it, I believe, and that's seen a huge drop off because you know no one wants to uh, be obvious in doing it. So there are obviously yeah. ways of 
I'm trying to limit that, or is it an education process? It sounds like a tough one to me to to work through that one. It's uh, it's I think a lot of things. It's not one one thing on its own. We have to have a comprehensive approach and. Uh, uh, frankly, on pornography, I, I would like, for example, to see a, 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 a more multi-stakeholder sort of, in, you know, international discussion, interstate discussion uh, on uh, in international fora. I think um, there is a tendency to discuss, or there is a, a sort of an, an agreement to discuss more child pornography. So the use of children in pornography, exposure of children to pornography, but I haven't seen uh, similar discussions really between states uh, in international fora on also adult pornography and uh, the violence contained therein, um, the impact that it's had. So it's it's definitely something perhaps that uh, uh, should should be looked at. And it's a global thing. It's globally it's, available, isn't it? It comes out. It's of globally so available, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And perhaps a few of the listeners we have are a little suspicious of the UN. I have to ask you, yes. is the UN uh, a reliable player in in these debates and moving, you know, through these problems for good? You know, people are suspicious of the, the UN and think a lot of this stuff is being sort of pushed top down from organizations like that you can surely give us a view on that uh, of what issues can you well I, I guess um the what people would perceive again back getting back to what we were saying earlier the promotion of um of uh, you know trans lifestyles um acceptability or uh, overlooking what people would see as a biological fact and feeling like they're having things imposed on them from a sort of like a greater height. And the, the UN, I can't think of anything specific, you know, the comment, but mm. it's perceived that the UN um, are sort of trying to promote this as well. And I'm just asking you because you're associated with them, uh, and mm. I don't know how deeply, whether that there's anything in that. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm actually an independent expert. Uh, okay, well, I sorry. have the UN yeah. in in my title because uh, I've been appointed by the Human Rights Council, that is a UN uh, body. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a UN staff, and having said that, the UN is also not a, a homogeneous entity. Mm. It's really also incredibly diverse, and and with with uh, organizations that have different mandates. Right. It, at the end of the day, it is really the only thing <laughs> we have uh, where we can bring global issues uh, and uh, where conflict is uh, addressed and where we try to come up with responses to global challenges, right? So so this is what we have and this is what we, we need to make the, the best out of it. And um, uh, and of course, uh, I think the UN looks uh, or, or tries to look or should be looking at, uh, you know, the human rights implications of uh, different phenomena, different policies. And uh, and I try to play my, my part by also addressing or highlighting what I, uh, as I said, the tension of rights, which is very normal to have in any, uh, you know, human rights setting or human interaction, there will be tension between different rights holders. And it's our job to help to resolve these and find a way where everybody's rights are respected 
where spe uh, certain specificities are also acknowledged and taken into consideration, and where uh, those that are most at risk of any violence or violations are also um, uh, protected against those. So, so, so that's that's our job collectively, also as uh, you know, as UN agencies. Okay, last question. Um, how do you see it, this sort of developing further? Are you optimistic, pessimistic to sort of resolving some of these issues sooner than later? Or does the tension um, keep ratcheting up? And because no one wants to have any confrontation, and we've seen some near confrontations here, no one wants that. Uh, um, I suppose if you stick to the basic principles of human rights, this this is totally able to be navigated. Again, it's not uh, the same uh, everywhere, but uh, I do see that in some countries now there is at least a more honest, open, straightforward debate uh, about these different issues. Um, there's attempts to try to clarify issues in legislation. Um, keep in mind also that, you know, <laughs> a number of countries have either gone through elections or inter entering election period where this, uh, as we are seeing, is proving to be, you know, one of the decisive issues um, uh, in, in political elections. So whether, you know, uh, naysayers like it or not, uh, society and, and po political actors will have to confront this and will have to uh, also, you know, have a, 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 a soul-searching moment right. and, 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 you know, reflect on, on how they've been approaching this because it will have implications uh, on the political uh, landscape and governance in a country. So, so whether we like it or not, I think uh, we will all be pushed to, to 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 see how to address this in a in a more open, more uh, respectful, inclusive uh, manner. I want to thank you for your time and um, for talking about this. It informs our audience. We appreciate that, and of course, uh, we're all watching it pretty closely. Thank you so much. Thank you. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.